to spring football. Buckeye talk, Doug Maurice, Bill Andis, Tim Bielek. Your Ohio State coverage team for Cleveland.com. And we watched a full, I think it was full, hour of football on Tuesday. We couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, once a year we get to do that kind of thing. I think it might have been like an hour and four minutes. Don't say that. Now the next window is going to be 56 minutes because Jerry let us stay in there too long. <laughs> Urban's going to yell at Jerry and cut us by four minutes next time. So we actually, contrary to the typical Buckeye talk, which is, as you know, two hours of grab ass, we actually have some things to talk about because we watched real football. Oh, and Adam Schefter just reported that Billy Price had surgery. Per source. Price is expected to be sidelined four months, but should be ready for the start of training camp. And everything will be just fine. <laughs> Billy Price's agent told Adam Jeffter. Um, right, so we're going to talk a lot about spring football. Quarterbacks, if you care about quarterbacks. Do people care about quarterbacks, Bill Landis? They seem to care about quarterbacks, yes. Who's uh, going to throw the football? Who's going to throw the football first? Who's going who's gonna to take the football from the center? Mm. Um, Urban Meyer's worried about the center, so we'll talk about the center. We'll talk about the things Urban Meyer's worried about. Uh, Urban Meyer has some interesting stuff to say, so we'll go through all that. We'll talk. Tim Bielek was at the Combine, the NFL Combine last week. We'll talk about some things about Ohio State from the Combine. Got a little Demario McCall to talk about. We'll talk about Demario McCall because everybody loves Demario McCall. And then we'll talk about some of the people who are injured for spring football, which I thought was interesting. They'll all be back for the fall, but uh, every little injury affects other people. And so I think there are some interesting injuries that I think probably won't significantly affect the injured players, but I think might affect opportunities for the other guys at their position who are all of a sudden going to get a bigger run in spring because some of these guys are hurt. Um, Again, you can read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening. Drop that five-star review if you're so moved. And we want to start with the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are interesting. And I will just start off by saying I think Urban Meyer might screw this up. Out. (laughs) Out. Thanks for listening. I think it's possible that one of the greatest coaches in college football history will make this quarterback thing uh, a little more difficult than it needs to be because that's what he did three years ago. True or false, Bill Landis? Um, I think it's a fair concern. I would like to give like the second best college football coach ever the benefit of the doubt in assuming that perhaps he learned from his previous mistake. You are such a kiss-ass. Just in case Urban's listening. He listens. Yeah. He's listening. He's sitting at home in his basement right now. He's got his grandson on his lap. He's bouncing his grandson on his knee listening to the Buckeye talk. Yeah. And he's like, you know what, Bill? That was a great point. What does uh, what does his grandson call Urban? Calls him a name. It's not like a grandfatherly name, though. Now I have to look it up. His, his daughter know. tweets about it. Buddy. His grandson no, his, calls him that Buddy. Was dad was, that was his dad's name, right? Yeah. So his grandson, who I don't know if he can speak yet, says, Buddy, turn on Buckeye talk. And uh, it soothes him. It soothes the uh, Meyer grandchild, potentially. Um, 
Well, but I'm going to stand by it. I would say it to his face, Urban. I think you might screw it up because this is what I. Maybe, maybe I'd say it to to his face. I'll say it. I'll say it to. I'll say it to like 1,800 people on a podcast. Yeah, can we uh, before we continue the your point on Urban? Can we start making a, a habit on Buckeye Talk of reading five star reviews? Because I think they're funny, and I mostly just want to read this one that was posted on March third. Five star review of the week that can definitely become a thing. Let me write that. I listen down. to another podcast that does that, and it's totally self serving. I don't care. Let's do it. Um, Bucks fan one said, "Doug, Bill, and Ari do a great job every week." It's <laughs> <laughs> posted three days ago. I just wanted to read the beginning. Thank He's you. in Tallahassee. Really? Yeah. We appreciate you listening all the way in Tallahassee. Especially Ari. Yeah, it's good to know that. I think Ari's been mentioned as me and then you in a separate review or something like that. There, uh, we go to McDonald's often to do work. We've talked about that before. And to eat french fries. Um, like two years ago, Ari told one of the cashiers at McDonald's that he and I are brothers. And today I walked in. Ari was already in there. I walked in to order food. And she said, oh, your brother was looking for you. <laughs> Did your heart swell? I was like, what the hell are you Pride? talking about, my brother? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot Ari said that. And then I had, to, I had to break it to her that we're not brothers. And you had to say, that man is not a Landis. Yeah, clearly. Um, what were we he, talking about? Urban Meyer messing up. Listen, here, Urban... Look, okay. what, what, how much of this is you just like... This is a legitimate concern? Like, you think... He, you could actually screw it up? Here's, here's, my, here's the part of my concern that is legitimate, which is all of it. I honestly think because I think Cardale Jones and JT Barrett both said it after the fact mm. that the way the quarterback situation was handled in 2015, it did get in their heads. I know Urban Meyer likes to say things like, well, that shouldn't. It shouldn't get in your head. It's competition. I like, he said today, he said Tuesday, I like guys being on pins and needles. I just don't think the guys like being on pins and needles. And I think that the way the battle was handled, it was a surprise that Cardale Jones won, JT Barrett in the midst of the battle and trying to come back from an injury, got in his own head. I think yanking Cardale Jones in the Hawaii game got in Cardale's head. And I think the, the two quarterbacks did not play their best in part because of how it was handled. And I think if Urban Meyer likes competition and thinks it brings out the best in guys and whatever, I think if somehow we are deep into preseason practice in August – and there's not a clear number one, and it's not that, okay, this guy won the job in the spring, or maybe it carried over to the first week of practice, but then Urban Meyer said, you're the guy, and now we're going to get you ready for the season. Because in 2000, obviously it's hugely different, and we're not going to spend all of our time making a comparison, because there's not really a comparison there. 2015, he had two veteran guys, one who had been a starter for a whole year, and one who had been a starter in the playoff and won a national championship. Right now he has no veteran guys. But I just don't think that that is going to bring out the best of the situation. And I don't think that for Dwayne Haskins, if there's a guy right up his butt two days before the season starts, I don't think that's going to make Dwayne Haskins play better. I think that's going to make Dwayne Haskins play like, man, I've got to do something. I've got to make a play. And it's going to make him play worse. I just think the guys involved here, I don't think somehow that would make Tate Martell play better. To think, all right, Tate, you won it, but man, Dwayne's right there. And then the Joe Burrow situation is complicated, and we will get into that. But that is what I fear. I I think they have three very good options. I think this team can be successful with any of the three. I think if Haskins or Martell winds up the starter, they will be successful in a different way. 
I think we all think that Joe Burrow is very much like JT Barrett. I think they can be successful in a similar way if Joe Burrow wins. But I think there is a chance that they will not be as successful as they could be if the guy playing quarterback has someone right behind him and it is not clear. I have two questions. Well, I want to see what, what you think of these two variables and the impact on this, on this situation specifically. Number one, no Tim Beck. And more specifically, oh, I forgot more that. specifically, oh, I don't your forget quarter, it. Your quarterback coach is back, and all the guys who were in this competition are familiar with their position coach. I forgot that part of it. I'm fine. No worries. Tim Beck is the one who screwed up. I, was, I yeah. was just about to ask that question to you. And the second part of it is this: in 2015, there was no competition in the spring because JT couldn't compete. So Cardell just played in the spring, and then the competition did not actually start until fall camp opened up in August. What kind of impact does being able to have a true competition in April have on this on this one as compared to 2015? I think it should make things better, but I think it makes things better if like someone wins a competition in the spring. Yeah. If the competition ends in the spring and Urban Meyer says, I'll tell you what, our quarterbacks played great. They're going to be battling all preseason to figure out who the quarterback is. Any of the three could start. I don't know what's going to happen. They look great, but we don't have a quarterback right now. I don't think that's great. I think th- I think it's better that the opportunity is there for someone to win the job. If Urban Meyer doesn't declare a winner, then you're basically back where you were in 2015. I do not think. Here's my bottom line. There's is, is there a monster growling. They're in the setting room up next for door? state. We're, we're recording this in uh, Value City Arena, and they're setting up for state wrestling. Grappling. Who would win if the three of us wrestled individually, one against each other? Should we do? We're in an empty room that has carpet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Who would win? Uh, I don't know. Here's the thing that I, I think it'd be hard to pin, but I'm also very slow and I get tired very easily. I would lose. My question is, and obviously you're just a bigger person than us. I don't know if Tim Bielek is just sort of a smaller person or if Tim Bielek is one of like those small, wiry guys. You do CrossFit. Are you a small, wiry guy or are you just kind of like a small, average guy? Well, I'm like 5'10", about 190 pounds. Really? You weigh 190? I, would you have guessed 190 for him? No, I think he's lying. What do you weigh, for real? 190. We're going to ask people on Twitter, do you think Tim Bielek weighs 190 pounds? I think he weighs 176. What do you think he weighs? Oh, I was going to say more. You think he weighs more? Yeah, how tall you're 5'10"? Yeah, 5'10", 190 to me is like a very like very skinny person. And I'm not saying you're a fat guy, but you're, just don't, you're, like, you're, you're, like a, you're a sturdier guy. Well, I think part of I it... I would have guessed you weighed like 205. No, I... Yeah. I well, have to weighed 205 at times. I weighed 205 when I was in like sixth grade. <laughs> Well, part of it also, I think, when, you, when you're someone like me, and admittedly I have a lot, way more leg muscle than upper body muscle, you can't really see it. So I, I can see where you're coming from here. I mean, like... But where I'm coming from is I think maybe you could beat Landis in wrestling because you're wiry. Is that a crazy thing to say? Now, uh, Landis is like, okay, let's go right now. Landis well, is taking a shirt off. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, Kyle Snyder lost a wrestling match a few weeks ago to a guy in Michigan who weighed 60 pounds more than him. I mean, I'll just sit on you and you won't be able to get up. But I'm not, I, I don't dispute. You could, you could get me on the ground. I, I, have, I have my weak spots. I know, just I, go for the knees and the ankles. My back isn't 100%, so I probably shouldn't be wrestling anybody. If you're wondering if Tim Bielek just compared himself to gold medalist Kyle Snyder, yes, he did. Also, we saw Kyle Snyder today. We had Kyle Snyder scheduled for a Buckeye talk. 
a couple weeks ago. I could not do it. We had to cancel that. And I told Kyle Snyder today, sorry for canceling it. We want to talk to you about snacks. And he was like, I have a lot of snacks, hot <laughs> takes. Like he was in. I was wondering, I heard him say I have a lot of takes, but I didn't know what that was in reference to. I thought it was snacks. Yeah, it was all about snacks. I said, I said like, we really don't want to talk to you about wrestling. We want to, we're, we're the guys who want to talk to you about snacks. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm in. So hopefully that will still happen. I'm most curious what he has to say about foreign snack take because he's wrestled all over the world. Russia, Iran, everywhere in between. I'm yeah. curious what, he, what takes he has on non-American snack food. Like what kind of wing sauce do they have in Iran? Like that's what I want to know. Or if he's ever eaten British chips and he wonders if they're better than American, which I think they are. Is it Iran? Is it Iran? 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 I think it's – I call it Iran, Iran or whatever. I think it's Iran. If you're wondering Iran. if we're debating the uh, – Pronunciation of Iran, we are. Welcome and then at the end of that podcast, definitely Kyle Snyder and Bielik will wrestle. That is <laughs> definitely going to happen. And then you'll, be, and you'll probably be out one sports reporter for at least a few months while I'm in a body cast. Yeah, workman's comp. Uh, okay, so here's the point. I, I don't think it would be good for this competition to go very far into preseason camp. Do you think this competition could go very far into preseason camp, and now we may as well start talking about the wrinkle in this competition, which is a very, very interesting wrinkle. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the, in my mind the wrinkle changes. Otherwise, I would say, yeah, of course it would go into um, fall camp. But I just like there's a bit of a like potential. I don't know. Maybe this is taking a step, step too far, but I feel like there's a bit of a potential like PR problem for Urban Meyer if he does not give Joe Burrow an answer, because everyone in the world knows Joe Burrow's situation. Everyone, Tell the people in case they don't. Everyone knows that Joe Burrow is scheduled to graduate in May. If he is not the starting quarterback, he would then be able to graduate, transfer to any program he wants, assuming Ohio State doesn't block him, which will be another PR disaster. Um, and then he has two years. He can start, presumably he'll go somewhere where he can start, and he can start for two years. Um, and everyone knows that. Like, he, he told us in the locker room after the Big Ten Championship that he's on pace to graduate, which I don't like – the transfer conversation has always hung over this quarterback battle when we knew this was coming, but I don't think any of us knew that Joe Burrow was on the path to graduate this spring. Maybe we should have assumed that he's a fourth-year player. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not that Urban Meyer is afraid of the questions we're going to ask him, but I think it could really be a problem for them. Unless Joe Burrow comes out right away and says, like, I don't care about this. Like, if they're going to give me the opportunity to compete in the fall, then I'm going to do that. But short of that happening, I think there is a, there's a, a problem on Urban Meyer's hands, perception problem on Urban Meyer's hands if he does not if – if Joe Burrow is not the starting quarterback, that he doesn't tell him that after April so that Joe Burrow can explore his transfer options. And I think some – I'm going to write about this, and people listening might think now, like, why does he have any kind of obligation to Joe Burrow? Um, and it was interesting. I thought Urban said his first obligation is to Ohio State, and then shortly close behind that, but certainly secondary, was, his, was the players um, – which I thought was maybe not the right thing to say. I don't know. You can tell me if your take or read on that was different. Um, what was I going to say? You asked that question, by the way. That was a good question. And Urban Meyer basically was like, well, I don't like oh. you digging into my private yeah. business, Bill Landis, but I'll answer you. I think there well, was, yeah, I remembered a point. I forgot what I was going to say. I, I think there will probably be a segment of Ohio State fans who, who will read what I write and are listening to this now who think that, Urban Meyer and Ohio State don't have any sort of obligation to tell Joe Burrow their their obligation is to Ohio State and making Ohio State the best team possible. Um, I would disagree with that. I think they owe it to Joe Burrow has come here, he's practiced, he's done everything the right way, 
And if he's not going to have a true opportunity to be the starting quarterback, then he needs to know that coming out of spring practice because he needs to explore his options because he deserves to play football. I think I'm going to kind of go back to this, but Urban Meyer brought up a good point when he was talking about former players. He talks about good standing, you know, leave the program in a better way than when you came in. And I think by that, by that regard, by that standard, you would have to imagine that they would, as to your point, Bill, they would do right by Joe Burrow. He's a guy who could start at a lot of schools next season, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and pr- there's a lot of schools that'd be happy to take a Joe Burrow, a guy who we've compared a lot of times playing style to JT Barrett. There's a lot of teams that would sign up for that, knowing the consistency of kind of player. I'm not saying Burrow, we don't know how good he truly is, but we know what he plays like. So I think in that regard, if he doesn't win, if he's not number one and it's not outright, well, if it is, especially if it is outright, there. I think he could go. In fact, I'd probably be leaning more that if he's not like in firmly in that discussion and they haven't decided, it's that would, it would be more likely in that case he would go than stay. But then again, I'm not obviously don't know Joe Burrow that deeply. Um, but when it comes to that, I think you really do have to do right by him. Like I said, and just tell him one way or the other: Am I in this, or is it Dwayne's job? All right, get ready. Mm. We're going to play some games. All right, okay. First of all, I do know Joe Burrow pretty well because I've asked him about Matthew Della Vadova. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and you get, to know, you get to get to a man's soul when you do that. You know him pretty well because you covered every high school game in his career, yep. right? All mm-hmm. 400 starts he made. Yep. There are – I want you guys to give me a number first. How many schools play in FBS? Is it 500? I think in, in, a thousand? In FBS? In FBS, college football. 130? A thousand? Yeah, 130. 130. I thought it was 1,000. 130. Knowing nothing, again, knowing nothing about the other 129 teams. 129 plus one transitional if you type in how many FBS teams are there into Google. Really? We should do a post on that to see if we get some free hits. How, how many – type this and see if there's an answer. How many FBS teams could Joe Burrow start for? See if there if there's already an answer on the internet for that. Uh, there's not a no. All, by the way, I also noticed today that that I don't know what had happened, but no one says Joey Burrow anymore. That was like a thing for like a year. He's a when grown we man. Got here. Grown man. He's a grown ass man. I'll yeah. say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Great hair, by the way. He's got the like the flow out of the back of the helmet, and I saw that. I was like, you know what? That's my pick to win the quarterback competition. More he has than- like a mullet. No, not quite a mullet, because he's got because if he, he's like like hockey haired, you know what I mean? My, yeah, like, not, hockey not, hair's not, a mullet. No, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. Tim knows what I'm talking. Are about. Are you saying he has better hair than Tate Martell though? Yeah, but he cannot rock the headband the way Tate Martell does. What if Joe Burrow was totally like passive aggressive and came out with a headband one day? I think he does wear a headband. Oh, it's on. Uh, How many FBS teams could Joe Burrow start for? Knowing nothing, what's your what was the number you would say? Uh, like, certainly every team that's not in the Power Five. So what's that, like, 80? So there's, like, 66 in the Power Five, I think? Yeah. Like, so 65 plus 70, Notre Dame, right? 70, like I can say, com- like, very confidently 70-ish, and then probably at least half of the You're Power You're sure five. he could start for, like, Memphis and USF and UCF and Houston and all those teams, like, 100%? Like, you're just saying talent wise, like not having intimate knowledge of the quarterback. No, no, just saying like I mean like that Quentin Flowers guy was really good. Yeah, in no, South I think Florida. I think like, he's talented enough to, to play at any level. Certainly started at any level outside the Power Five, and then probably at a and then the some half, of the bottom. Yeah, yeah. but the, the bottom Power Five schools for sure. 
Right. So maybe more than so you think seven. You actually think more than seventy. No, I think like probably closer to like a hundred. Wow. Okay. You say a hundred. What do you say, Tim? I'm about in that range. I was going to say eighty-five to ninety. I'll lean more towards ninety because we. I mean, like Bill said, he'd probably start for every group of five team out there that doesn't have an established guy, maybe even over some established guys. And then there's, you know, it seems like half of the power school, power five schools are always trying to find new quarterbacks or could just need a massive upgrade. And Joe Burrow for a lot of those teams would be a massive upgrade. So I'd say like 90. Could he start for Rutgers? Yes. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. Could he start for Maryland? Yeah. No. No. But the Maryland has like they had two quarterbacks hurt last year that are both coming back, yeah, they right? Had, they had well, two why? guys who tore ACLs in September. If Joe Burrow wins the – what would your reaction be if Joe Burrow wins the Ohio State quarterback competition? I will be very surprised. But you think it's out, like you do you think it's absurd that he could be the starting quarterback here? No, I think Dwayne Haskins has some very rare quarterback gifts that caused him to be a pretty uh, sought after recruit. I think like Joe Burrow was a three star guy in state who they were smart to offer, smart to bring in. I th- was he a four star by the time he yeah. he signed? Like I think his yeah. his it went up. His he's a top three hundred national player. He's a, like he's when he when he first committed. I thought to myself, I thought that he was more Stephen Collier, but an Ohio kind of kid, but an Ohio version of Stephen Collier than he was anyone who would ever have a realistic shot of being the starting quarterback here. And my opinion on that has completely changed. But based on what? On what you've seen him do on watching the field, him. like I know, I mean, it goes back to watching him in high school. Like he was, he was just more dynamic than I thought he would have been. My assumptions of him, and my, and I don't know, it doesn't mean I'm right. It's just my opinion. But my, I feel like my initial assumptions of him were wrong. Okay, I, I don't know. I think I'm more like at fifty. Um, you want to hear something interesting? Yeah, he was a number eight dual threat quarterback in the 2015 recruiting class. Number twelve was Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Number 13 was Kelly Bryant. Really? Yeah. Well, depending on who you ask, Lamar Jackson's not going to be a quarterback. He's going to be a wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah, could Joe Burrow play wide receiver? Sam Darnold was number five. Joe Burrow was three spots behind Sam Darnold. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, see, the thing, the, th- the thing that is confusing to me a little bit is that they they didn't declare like a number two quarterback before last season. Then Burrow got hurt. And then Urban Meyer again said Tuesday that they were close and, and the injury set him back a little bit, but they were close. But they didn't, they didn't, they didn't play Joe Burrow like it was close. Like yeah. Dwayne Haskins was the backup quarterback last year. No doubt about it. And Joe Burrow was the garbage time quarterback, if anything. So I just came to believe that, that Dwayne Haskins must be somewhat substantially better than Joe Burrow. Or they would have been splitting that up more. Or that the coaches had some belief that Dwayne Haskins had a somewhat substantially better future. And that's why they were doing that. So now to come back and for Urban Meyer to say, like, they're neck and neck and they're re- we're really close, it's like, what? That's, that's not what you showed us, really. Yeah. So I don't know. And, and, but I also don't think – I. I think both things can be true. Dwayne Haskins can be substantially better than Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow will still be good enough to start for 80 FBS programs. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, okay, well, we don't know. Here's, 
I think the one there's a one compli- not complicating factor. One interesting factor here is that Joe Burrow's dad is a college football coach. Yep. And sometimes families just don't know what the deal is, and they are not at the mercy because I'm not implying that the coaches are necessarily like taking advantage of the players, but they just they just trust the coaches to do what's best, and they're all in on, you know what, we just want to do what's best for the team. You know, we're not there, – there are some fam, – you know, there are some parents who, you know, you, whatever, the stories that coaches tell about, oh, it's hard to deal with these parents. And I know that's out there. But there certainly are some parents that aren't like that. They're like, listen, we trust you with our kid, and we feel good about it, and you do what you think is best. Um, when your dad's a football coach, like, you know the deal. He knows all his options. He, know how, he knows how this works. So, so Joe Burrow um, is going to – clearly have an understanding of what is best for him and, and is not going to like sort of allow himself to be left like in no man's land on this. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, though, Bill, about one of the things you said about when you said that you seem slightly surprised or you wonder if it was the best thing for Urban to say that Ohio State first, then the players. What, what about that did you find unusual or perhaps not what you thought he would have said or should have said? I think it's just that I, I – I thought he would have hedged more toward the welfare. And that's not – welfare is probably the wrong word. Like no one's in danger of anything. Um, but I was, I was surprised that he, he made that point and then he, he made the point to like – he made it clear that there was at least some separation between the two, Ohio State's best interest and then the best interest of the player. Um, I just thought that that was – frankly was opposite of what I thought he would say. Clearly he has Ohio State's best interest in mind whenever he does anything because he's here to win – Championships and keep the program in good standing and all that stuff makes sense. But I, I, putting that ahead of any player, like short of some kind of like disciplinary situation, was just surprising for me to hear. Surprising to hear come out of his mouth. See, I was not surprised by that at all. That's exactly what I thought he would say in that situation. Like the program comes first. Ohio State football is Ohio State football, and you know what? It's a privilege to be here, and, and we have a lot of great players here, and you've got a – it's life in the big city kind of stuff. Like I was actually not that surprised by that. Now, here's the thing I'll bring up. Tim, do you think that this is any counter to what Urban Meyer said? So Urban Meyer said Ohio State comes first, and the welfare of the players is close behind it, but for Ohio State, the program comes first. There are people who a year last season would have said when it comes to the quarterback position, if Ohio State comes first, maybe Dwayne Haskins should have played or played a little more than he did or had a little more of a consideration than the full-throated, no doubt about it, he's our guy backing that Urban Meyer gave JT Barrett for the, all of the 2017 season. Tim, do you find what Urban Meyer said Tuesday about saying Ohio State comes first in regard to what's going to happen with Joe Burrow at all in conflict or opposite, or maybe just not opposite, but not lined up completely with the way he handled the quarterbacks last year? Or do you think he could say Ohio State comes first and what he did last year with JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins was putting Ohio State first? Uh, I mean, that is admittedly a hard question. If we knew now what we knew then, about last year about Dwayne Haskins, you'd argue that that would be in conflict because based on what we saw from Dwayne Haskins, if he had played and played the way he did against Michigan at the end of the season and showed those things, there's a chance Ohio State could have been in the playoff. 
considering the two losses, the Oklahoma loss, GT Barrett did not look good in that game. He had problems down the stretch. They went run heavy pretty much the second half, the rest of the season following the Iowa game. He really didn't have much of a chance to throw the football. So I think in that regard, what was best for Ohio State, and I said this after the Oklahoma game, was to bench JT in favor of Dwayne Haskins. So the question of benefiting Ohio State first above everything else, it comes to me from a thing about how none of the, obviously none of these guys have ever started a game in college. None of these three guys, Burrow, Haskins, Martell, none of these guys have started a game. Maybe in Urban Meyer, I'm trying to think of it from the Urban Meyer perspective of he has a guy in JTU who started games for three years. He thinks he knows exactly what he's getting. He's not getting a super high ceiling quarterback. He's getting a quarterback who his floor is as high as you can possibly get without it being a superstar, but his ceiling is pretty much at that floor. You're not getting much consist much outside of that realm. So you'd rather go with the consistency and one thing coaches I'm sure want is to have consistency. They want to know they want constants. They want to know what they're dealing with. And in this quarterback battle, you don't they don't know what they're dealing with because these guys have none of these guys have started a game. And in Dwayne Haskins' case, he's he's hadn't played more than a half of football throughout an entire game. But I think in regards to a certain to Joe Burrow, it's kind of interesting. If you think that when Ohio State got shot out in the playoff, that they wouldn't open the quarterback battle up, that it was still best for Ohio State to go with JT and not open it up to Burrow or Haskins, it's kind of confusing in a way. Do you guys believe that Urban Meyer just absolutely thought the best thing for Ohio State football last year was to play JT Barrett, and that wasn't a consideration. And he was putting Ohio State first, and he absolutely knew that the best thing was to play JT Barrett. Or do you think he allowed what's best for the player, what's best for a loyal Buckeye, to seep into his decision-making there? I think a little bit of the loyalty crept in. Okay. There was, there was strong evidence to there was strong evidence to support, I think, at least entertaining a change, and it seemed like he never entertained. And he told us he never entertained it. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what he did in his head. That maybe he did go home after the Oklahoma loss and watch a ton of film and break it down. And um, he, for twelve hours, considered doing something, and then he said, "You know what? No, no, no. I'm, I'm watching these guys. I know these guys. I know the offense." Playing JT is the best thing, and then I'm I'm not going to introduce um, the uncertainty unless I'm going to actually make a change, which would make sense. Mm-hmm. But I think loyalty probably kept crept in a little bit too. But I, I I think that was more of a unique circumstance. That's a you know a five year guy, a four year starter. So I get it. I'm not really comparing JT Barrett to Joe Burrow, saying they should be treated the same. I just thought it was like an interesting thing that. Loyalty, what's, what's not loyalty, but what's best for a quarterback and what's best for a team, it sort of came up twice in two years in very different situations. Um, so let me, let me now, we're going to run through some scenarios. Scenario, I want, I want your answers on how likely you think this is and then what would happen if this is what does happen. You don't have to do percentages. I like percentages, but you can just give a vague... Namby pamby, 
vague, weird, how many times you say very, kind of uh, use the modifiers you want to explain your position. Because I would prefer to make you say 21.3%, but I know that guy probably bother, probably bothers you when I do that. Here's scenario number one. Dwayne Haskins is clearly the best quarterback. Like, in practice, day after day, in the spring game, it just, just it's obviously Dwayne Haskins. How likely do you think that is, and then what happens? I'd say 64.27%. So that's what I like. No namby-pamby modifiers for... If you're going to wrestle Kyle Snyder, <laughs> you can't be afraid of giving a percentage. Okay, so you think it's a two-third chance, basically, that Dwayne Haskins just comes out and wins this job. Yes. Okay. So if that happens, if he looks that way, does Urban Meyer declare Dwayne Haskins the starting quarterback at the end of spring? If he looks far and away the best, it would be... I would assume in his best interest to do so. So you think that, that it's possible that Urban Meyer in that situation would like close down the competition and say, when we get here in the preseason, Dwayne Haskins is our quarterback? I don't know if he would openly say it, but I would imagine that would be the case. Okay. And then Joe Burrow would what? I think in that case, Urban would tell Joe Burrow what was going on. And if Joe Burrow were to transfer, which I think in this scenario would happen, then we'd be declaring Dwayne Haskins QB1. Okay, Bill, that scenario, how likely, and what do you think? Uh, I'm pretty much in the same. I would, I would probably go, you said 64 point something? 64.27. I think I'd go a little higher than that. I'll okay. say, I'll, like, yeah, I, closer, closer to 70% chance, I think, that, that that happens. And then I agree, if that happens, Dwayne Haskins enters the summer knowing he's a starting quarterback, and everyone else knows it too. Do you think it's possible that, like, Urban could come to the – News conference after the spring game and say Dwayne Haskins is our quarterback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's possible, too. All right, here's the second scenario. It's a tie. Like, whether they both look average. Like, nope, forget it. I'm going to break that up into two scenarios. This scenario is Dwayne Haskins has a good spring. Not spectacular, but a very good spring. Joe Burrow has a very good spring. Urban Meyer looks at them and says... I think we could win a national championship, or at the very least a Big Ten championship, with either Joe Burrow or Dwayne Haskins. If I had to decide today, I do not know who I would pick. And boy, oh boy, if I had my choice, I sure would like to have them both around because I think both are very good and we could win with either one. What? How likely is that? And then what happens? You go first this time, Landis, because mm. you're pondering. You have your – describe it. He's got – If I think – if I thought – Let me first. ask a question first. How do you keep your beard not like a long beard but a short beard? Is there a setting that I you use do? A, I use a uh, closed two on my, on my clipper. So is it the clipper – it's a regular razor or it's is it a separate clipper? It's a regular cl- – I use a smaller razor to like line it up and like clean up my neck and then I use like regular clippers you get up use the like at the barber shaves your head. Yeah. And then I use the the guards like have numbers like I think it's like 1 through 6. Yeah. I use a 2 but then I close it which just means like you can you can open it up and it's like farther away from the thing and if you close it it's closer to the thing so it's like a it's like a closer 2. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to describe your beard as you were pondering. Tim also has like the, this the beard that is a short beard not a full beard and I feel like your generation 
is more into that shape of beard, and I've never really understood how you get your hair to do that. I would prefer to have like a longer lumberjack beard. I just said, if it gets longer than the point it's at right now, it's very scraggly. Oh. And I think if I had patience, I could let it grow out into something longer and it would look nice, but I don't have the patience to do that. Okay. Same reason that I wish I had long hair. I don't have the patience to let it grow. So you're talking about something shorter than a James Harden beard. No, like I want a James Harden beard. I want a James Harden beard and hair down on my butt, but I'm, I don't have the patience. Together? To yeah, I want to look like a crazy person. Oh, wow. And have like a ponytail. I think that you might get a call from the boss if that happens. Yeah. Pick one. Beard, beard. or ponytail. Beard. Um, I don't know. I, how do you, what's your beard procedure? Um, well, full disclosure, if you've seen my face, I have an, unfor- <laughs> I have an unfortunate <laughs> problem with you. That's always a good place to start. <laughs> well, the unfortunate part of my beard is like kind of the mustache part and the rest don't connect. Oh, yeah, I see that. There's like a that tiny gap of skin on both sides, which is unfortunate. I've hated that and for years. Tiny gap of skin. That I cannot get those to connect. It's frustrating. I had somebody tell me one time. Uh, that's my one of my friends from back home because I, I I had the same similar problem with my mustache connecting my beard, and I was telling this to one of my friends back home, and he told me that his dad, <laughs> his dad swore by this practice helping you get your thing your mustache to connect to your beard, like squeezing grapefruit juice like into a rag and then rubbing that grapefruit juice on your face, and he said it helped him grow more like connected and uh, like healthier facial hair. I will have to look into that. Have you done it? No. There's grapefruit no way juice. Grapefruit juice. I don't know. There are odd. Not like go buy grapefruit juice. Like buy a grapefruit and squeeze the a rag. Part of me does believe in weird hacks like that, life hacks like that. So if I were that desperate, I'd be willing to give it a try. I feel like that guy's dad works for the grapefruit industry. You might, yeah. Um, all right. So that scenario, both are good. Ponder so it, Landis. My question was: If I'm if I'm seventy percent first scenario, Haskins is far and away the best. Mm-hmm. Am I now locked into that percentage? No, 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 no. Because thirty. Or I, I allowed you to not do percentages. Tim chose to. Uh, you may just use kind of or very or maybe. <laughs> uh, I guess I would just use the rest of it. I think there's a thirty percent, like about a thirty percent check, because I think those are probably the only two scenarios. I don't think like Joe Burrow will be far and away the best. I don't think Tate Martell is actually much of a factor. So I think I think it's Haskins is awesome and clearly the guy, or they're even, and it's a very tough decision. So um, I'll say thirty percent chance that that they go in, come out of spring even, and Urban truly doesn't know who to pick and thinks both could be a good option for Ohio State. And then Urban, what? <sighs> both publicly and privately with the players, what? I think pub- publicly says uh, the competition is still open. We don't know. And then privately, I think, like, explain. Like, Dwayne Haskins in that scenario, I don't think would go anywhere. Cause it, no, I don't it, think It doesn't so. make much sense for him. It's not like he could start right away somewhere else. Um, and then I think he just kind of puts it in, in Joe Burrow's hands and says, like, you're going to. And I guess you can say that this would be, in, it could be insincere. He doesn't actually think this. But you could tell Joe Burrow, like, listen, I don't know who the starter is going to be. You guys are going to have a chance to compete in the fall, and it's possible that you come out the you come out the starter. Do what you will with that information. Okay, so you think you think that in that situation, Urban Meyer would say, "Do what you will, Joe Burrow. I haven't decided yet. I swear to you that it's open. It's fifty fifty right now. It's wide open." As opposed to saying, "Joe, stay." I want you to stay. This team needs you to stay. I think it's in your best interest to stay. I cannot guarantee you that you're going to be the starting quarterback. And I cannot tell you that your decision to stay 
gives you any 5% more advantage over Dwayne. That's not fair to Dwayne. What I'm telling you is I think you're a good quarterback. We can continue to make you a better quarterback. I don't know what your future is at Ohio State, but if you want to be a quarterback, I can help you be a quarterback. And you have seen how the world works. You are a good player and a good leader, and we want you to be a Buckeye. Stay. Uh, I mean, I certainly can say that. I don't know. I don't know how you say that without it coming off as of some kind of promise. I mean, people love the theory that he promised Cardale something, which is how Cardale yeah. went from having a news conference that people thought was going to be to announce going to the NFL to coming out and saying he was staying. I'm just no. That, that's like the, that feels the, that feels a little strong to me. You think he wouldn't say that? Okay. I think I think that brings too much onus on Urban. Okay, I think Urban would say that. I think Urban would say it because Urban believes like you can never have too many quarterbacks, and I am not super comfortable. I, I think Tate Martell can be a good college quarterback. I think Tate Martell can be a good college quarterback at Ohio State. I think Tate Martell could be a very good college quarterback at Ohio State. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm sure. Not based on any knowledge, because nothing I say is based on knowledge. But I am sure that Urban Meyer would not be completely comfortable with the quarterback room in the fall of Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, and a Matthew Baldwin that can barely walk, who had towards ACL and is not going to play this sure, year. Sure, I agree with that. So I think – I don't think he'll lie to Joe Burrow, and I don't think he'll game it to try to keep Joe Burrow here with a, ooh, you still might win it. But I think if Joe Burrow plays well and Urban hasn't decided, I think he will try to get him to stay. That's, I don't, that's not gaming it? I don't think it's gaming it because, I mean, like only Irvin in his heart would know. Yeah, But I think, I think it, yeah. there's a difference between saying, Joe, it's even. You deserve to do what you want to do versus, Joe, it's even, and we want you here. And I think the best thing for you is to stay here. I'm not guaranteeing you that you're going to start, but I'm telling you, you're a good player and we want you to be here. Those are the – Joe did the same thing. Those are two different reactions from Urban. I think he would lean more to the second one, more to the stay. That's what I think. Yeah. Like, but I, I understand that I, I, think it, I think it's very possible you're right, too. Tim, I'll give you the third scenario that Bill doesn't seem to think is possible. As Bill Landis leaves the Tate Martell bandwagon. Listen, I don't, I, I don't, I don't enjoy where I've landed. I'm <laughs> just trying to be realistic. Joe Burrow is okay. Dwayne Haskins is okay. Not bad. Good. They're good. They're fine. Tate Martell makes Urban Meyer stay up at night with this crazy playmaking ability. He is the most dangerous runner. He is comfortable in the zone read. Maybe not as comfortable as Burrow, but he's good at it. He's got a little Braxton in him with what he can do in the open field. And, man, that guy can sling it, too. Man, I never thought I'd be here, Urban saying to himself. How can I be in this situation? But I'm not so sure that Tate Martell doesn't give us the best chance to win right now in 2018. And it's not because Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow screwed up. It's because they were okay. They were fine. But Tate Martell, every practice does something that takes my breath away. How likely is that? Well, is this the final scenario or is there a fourth? 
The fourth one involves robots. <laughs> okay, well, this gives you an idea of what kind of, I'll give you an insight of what kind of person I am. While you guys were talking, I added up my own percentages to what I can spend. Okay. I put scenario two at, I had 35.73% left to spend. Okay. Scenario three, and you can do the math on your own, 4.4%. 4.4%. So you're, okay, you were like 31.33% on scenario two. Oh, I want you. I had the math on my screen. Uh, so I don't know if you glanced over. That's the exact math I had I could, on my screen. I could do. There. I could do simple. He knows how to subtract. Add and subtract. Yeah. All right. I mean, he's I'm a, a sports writer. I don't, I don't know how to. But do I, that. I can also add and subtract. Fair, but so I, you think you were leaving that window open? Yeah, I think you have to be willing to leave any window open, especially with a player who was of Tate Martell's pedigree coming out of high school. I mean, you know, wasn't he like? Gatorade National Player of the Year yeah, uh, yeah. in his high school class. He never lost a game to Bishop Gorman. Granted, Bishop Gorman was is the West Coast version of IMG to an extent. And there's a pedigree there of Martel. Everybody raved about him. Or Urban Meyer raved, you know, in the his middle. His teammates of, raved. Yeah. His yeah. teammates times, raved. Right? Urban Meyer had good things to say about Martel coming along as a scout team guy. And, you know... There's always that door open. I don't know if you can ever close the door completely on Martel. We've talked about how there could be a role for him in certain mm-hmm. situations, how you could put him in a red zone package. You know, if you have Dwayne Haskins as your starting quarterback, if you want to change things up a bit, you throw number 18 out there and wa- and watch some fireworks happen. I'm back, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. What I've done the on the tape train. I've done the unthinkable. I've persuaded Bill Landis. Mark this, Fireworks. Mark this down. March 6, 2018, 4.39 p.m. So you're you're in on the 4.4% chance that that happens? Uh-huh. Make it make it make it a make it a round five. Wow. Okay. I, I like I I think that's I mean I think I probably agree with all your percentages. Again, the idea of most likely that Haskins just win this this thing, but absolutely. And again, I think even what we saw today, and Bill, we you know, we wrote a bunch of stories. We had practice observations. I hope you guys read cleveland.com slash OSU. We had a bunch of practice observations Tuesday morning after we watched practice for an hour. We did a couple videos. And I know, Bill, you said in the video that you thought you expected the the general vibe of the first spring practice to be like Dwayne Haskins is the number one quarterback. And yeah. it wasn't. It was these are these are the top two guys from what we saw and that, that's what Urban Meyer then indicated when we talked to him, and that surprised you a little bit. Yeah, actually, I felt good when Urban said that because I, I didn't – not that I felt like I went out on a limb, but I, sometimes you don't know how much you know about football. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I thought, like, it was, it's the first day of spring, so, like, this doesn't mean anything, I don't think. But but, but we did – I mean, it, it means it's, nothing, it's the, but it's a significant more – it's a, a great deal more information than we sure, had on Monday. Sure, and I, I, and I thought Joe Burrow looked – Certainly, the most consistent of the three quarterbacks, and I, and I felt there was a there was a clear separation between Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins, and then Tate Martell. Um, but I also think, just like a slight tangent on that, when it comes to Tate, I don't think Tate's ever going to look good. And though, like in the situations we saw Ohio State in on Tuesday, compared to Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow, where it's basically like no one's running after you, you're just dropping back and throwing the ball to receivers in seven on seven. Like Tate Martell thrives in, and that's like a cliche thing to say, like guys say to the combo, like I don't do this underwear Olympic stuff, but when we're playing football, I'm better. Um, I think some of that like rings true for, for Tate Martell, that when he gets out there 11 on 11, and like he's allowed to use his legs to make plays, you might go, oh yeah, that guy, he should probably be the quarterback. It's just, I don't think it's going to look like, like that when they're just kind of dropping back and throwing passes. Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow, I think have slightly better arms than Tate does. Um, 
But back to my original point. Uh, I did not see a huge discrepancy between the arm strength of Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. Um, Joe Burrow was more accurate. Um, Dwayne, like, and we were watching him from very far away, so it's probably too much of a leap for me to, like, get a, get a read on this. But, like, Dwayne, like, looked a little, like, razzled by stuff. I don't know what it was. Maybe he was just not having a great day. But he would, like, throw a bad ball, and then he would, like, walk away. And I don't know if he was, like, yelling at himself or just thinking to himself, but, like, Joe Burrow and Tate Martell would throw a ball, get back in line, throw a ball, get back in line, throw a ball, get back in line. Dwayne Haskins would, like, looked like he was thinking about some stuff. And I thought that was, like, him juxtaposed to the other two guys looked a little interesting. That's some good quarterback talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I need chocolate. All right. <laughs> Here's one thing that Urban Meyer said, and I want to – this is a, a slight – step away from quarterbacks, but I found it interesting. And I have Urban's transcript up from, from Tuesday. He was talking about the receivers. <clears throat> he said, receiver, we've been good. We've not been elite. Which, again, like, we say that on Buckeye Talk a lot. I mean, a lot of people will tell you the receivers are great. We've never told you the receivers are great. We've told you they're good guys. Culture's great, all that stuff. We said it all last year. Culture's great. Make a play. Mm-hmm. Culture's great. Get open. Make a, make a defense be scared. Culture's wonderful. I'm glad that you guys are all friends. Put up a couple hundred-yard receiving games. Somebody. Somebody break out. So we tell you that all the time. Not everybody tells you that. Urban Meyer thinks that. That's what Urban Meyer thinks. Yeah. We've not been elite. I've challenged our coach. That means Zach Smith. I've challenged Ryan Day, who is going to be working directly with them as well. What is that? Passing game coordinator. Yeah, and, and that's or, that, or just receivers well, coach and Zach Smith, your uh, recruiter. That's that million dollars at yeah. work. Yeah, I that mean, was interesting. Plus, we saw a little bit of the Ryan Day influence last year. We've talked about it endlessly with the RPOs and the mesh routes, which seemed like it definitely opened up the passing game a little more and made it more much more fluid than it was the previous two seasons. So I guess if, if Ryan Day, who clearly has more play-calling responsibility now, whether Urban Meyer wants to dance around it or whatever, um, if he's going to have even more of that influence you're talking about, Tim, with the RPOs and that kind of thing, and so that means he's really going to work with the receivers because if the quarterbacks are reading things and the receivers have to be reading the same things and getting ready for things and, and, and be ready to make plays in situations – uh, I found that to be interesting, just a little bit. Whenever, whenever somebody's like, uh, it's like, you know, if you were at your job and you were doing your job for a couple of years, and then they said, you know what, I don't, we're just going to get somebody to help you do your job a little bit. You know, it would be like, it would be like if you, you if you covered Ohio State for <laughs> seven years by yourself, and they were like, you know what, we think we need two more people. You might. Get self-reflective and wonder about your place in life and whether your career choice has led to failure. Zach, I'm with you, buddy. Like I'm right, I'm right there. So you're Zach Smith in this scenario. I'm Ari- Zach Smith in this scenario, and, and you're Ryan Day. Well, we weren't the originals, so like Ari, Ari and Ari and Mizell Wait. were the originals. Yeah, if Ari. He, if yeah. he's Ryan Day, then aren't I Alex Grinch in this scenario? You're always Alex Grinch. You just want to be Alex. No. Uh, Ari was Tim Beck. <laughs> You're Ryan Day. <laughs> I'm kidding, Tim. Um, I wouldn't compare you to Ari. I'm kidding, Ari. Um, we, 
Urban went on a rant about uh, about like a thing. It was like a story. He was mad about people using sources, and he said like uh, he's <laughs> he said like oh like if you have sources and they they work in here like they're gonna get fired. And so we were joking that like. Uh, um, Urban would come up to us and be like, who's your source? Is it Bill Davis? Is it Bill Davis? Are you sure? Like, it's Bill Davis, right? That was Landis's joke. And I know that that just offended whatever the, the relative is of Bill Davis's that listens to this podcast and he's ma- he has emailed me twice now. I'm not going to stop. Are you sure it's not him? It doesn't say Bill. It just there says someone else named Davis. There aren't many people who follow the at Buckeye Talk, Talk Pod Twitter account. Um, in fact, I'm going to look it up right now. How many people follow that account? Of course, my computer's not I might running. actually have it. We have 692 people follow that account. One of them is Bill Davis. Yeah. I mean, that would be baller to like if you, because if you changed, you changed the first name, but you kept Davis as the yeah. last name. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be just like an impartial person. I'm just saying I'm not me. I'm a, I'm a relative. So I welcome the emails of that relative, I'm assuming it's a relative, unless it's a random person named Davis who lives in another state. Um, but like, and when he coach, when they do well, that's fine. Like, that's great. And when, when, when someone else is the only coach on the staff who doesn't get a raise and every other assistant gets a raise, and then you can act like it's just me, that I'm obviously the only person, every, the, the bosses must think he's doing a great job. No raise. Okay, then we can just play that game. Um, so... That was my Bill Davis tangent, which I know you guys enjoy. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here at Buckeye Talk, and we will come back. We have injuries to talk about. We got some DeMario McCall to talk about. We're going to take your questions, but first when we come back, we're going to get the Tim Bielek Ohio State Combine Breakdown. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, rising heat costs, those are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table. That can often result in hunger, but this is where you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals for hungry people in Northeast Ohio. So right now, go to Harvest harvestforhunger.org and donate. That's harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Tim Bielek was at the Combine. How many nights were you there, Tim? Uh, Thursday night and Friday night. So there for three days. Three days. Uh, 11 Ohio State Buckeyes were at the NFL Combine. Tim wrote like 40 stories in three days about it or something ridiculous. So if you guys haven't read all, all of the Combine coverage, go to cleveland.com slash OSU and get on that. Tim, did you think there was a Buckeye that helped himself the most at the Combine? I think Sam Hubbard was a guy who stood out to me as someone who really improved himself. And I wrote about it, um, you know, about his fight to be a first-round pick. I was on Mike Mayock's conference call about a week ago, and he said it would take you know some extra athleticism from Hubbard to really show that he could be a first-round pick. He didn't run the 40. He'll do that at his pro day. 
but he ran the three-cone drill, which is important for your defensive ends, your edge rushers, because you need to show your agility and ability to change direction. He ran that in a six point in 6.84 seconds, which is a phenomenal time for a defensive end. It's a pretty it's a pretty good indicator of agility, and I think it's we don't have a 40 time yet, obviously, for him. But when you talk about needing to show that how athletic he is, and there have been scouting reports that say his athleticism is quote unquote average. And I asked Sam about that, and he's like, I'm, he's, he's, that's part of what he wanted to show people was how athletic he is. A 6.84 three-cone time for a guy who's six foot five and three-eighths and 270 pounds, not too shabby. So Sam Hubbard, uh, I'm going to put Optimistic Tim on the spot. Get ready, Optimistic Tim. All right. Sam Hubbard helped himself the most. And you can't say Billy Price for this answer because we know he got hurt. Which Buckeye... Did not help himself at the combine. Uh, no, I think we're going to ask him which of the Browns' first round picks they use on Sam Hubbard. <laughs> um, I feel like Hubbard at one is a stretch, but I think yeah. he should be in the mix at four. I I think the one guy who maybe hurt himself a little bit was Jamarco Jones. Uh, he showed up well at the combine. You know, he had a massive wingspan that Yahoo's Charles Robinson, who did all the Wingspan tweets had, like, eye emojis when they went to uh, Jamarco's wingspan, which I think is, like, seven foot. But, you know, at the combine, he didn't really have a great testing day. He only ran about a 5.5 in the 40, a 24-inch vertical, um, three-cone drill, 8.32 seconds. If you go by the spark metric, which I go, I've go, i gone by a lot, I've written stories about that in the past as far as, like, an athletic metric used to determine how athletic you are based on your peers at your position group. And I'm pulling that up right now. If you put Jamarco Jones into the NFL right now, compared to his peers, he would be in the 2.2 percentile of offensive linemen. On wingspan? At, no, pure athleticism. No. Two, top 2.2% or bottom 2.2%? Bottom 2.2%. Okay. Like that, like mm. two, there's 2.2% of, of comparable players at his position that he's as athletic as. And by comparison, at the top of the list is a kid named Colton Mill from UCLA. 97th percentile. In short terms, in Spark, in Spark, higher percentile means you're more athletic. Both you guys have said comparable today, by the way, again. Which, do you like comparable? It's not that I like comparable. It's that it is comparable. This I, is the fifth time we've had this discussion on Buckeye Talk. I'm trying to remember when the last time it was. It was People ago. didn't like it. They said they fast-forwarded through the comparable talk. <laughs> Landis is seating. Let's go to Demario McCall. Thank you for that combine breakdown. That was a good t- combine breakdown by Tim. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a New York City story from uh, the Big Ten tournament? You talked about – you actually were talking about this today, and I, and I wanted more specificity. You said your hotel room was kind of weird. I talked about it on the basketball podcast. Oh, you did? Maybe if you could have listened to that. <laughs> um, I, I listened to the first five minutes. I, I have the rest yeah, of Yeah, it was very straight. Well, there, I think there are people listening who didn't listen to the football podcast – or listen to the basketball podcast. Um the room is very small, which is fine. New York City hotel rooms are small. Um, the bathroom was like painted to look like a swimming swimming pool, and it had, like, really? like like it was like green tile halfway up, and then white tile the rest of the way, and then like on the green tile it said two and a half feet deep, and then on the floor in the shower it said no diving. I think I saw a photo you I think either tweeted or put on Instagram about it. Oh, I, I put it on the Instagram story. Yeah, um, there was the you know the channel on the hotel television that's like about the hotel. Yeah. It was Channel One on this hotel, and it was just like a. This hotel was called Moxie, and the hotel 
channel just played the same video on a, it was like a 45 second video that played on a loop that felt like an acid trip <laughs> and also felt like I said I was going to keep it uh, PG but I'm and this is still pretty PG um, but it's adult conversation uh, I thought I was staying in a European sex club <laughs> that's the vibe that this hotel gave off it was very nice very clean I would stay there again. Very sexy. I would stay there again. <laughs> it was just bizarre. Because it was very, it's very close. Uh, two blocks in one direction, you're in Madison Square Garden, and like four blocks in the other, you're in Times Square. It's a pretty good location. It was just, it was, the hotel's called Moxie, and it's exactly what you expect a hotel <laughs> called, called Moxie to be. I, if I went to a hotel called Moxie, I would expect that the person at the front desk would be Matt McGloin. That's, That's what, what someone, yeah, somebody, was, I was talking to Ryan Keene, he's like, what's the name of this hotel? I said, Moxie, you only say in hotels after Matt McGloin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, I said we're going to get to De- – that was a good hotel story. Good combine story, good hotel story. I said we were going to get to DeMario McCall, but we're not. We're going to talk about injuries first. There are five guys who are out for the spring, uh, and there's some important guys. Starting left guard, Michael Jordan, who's a two-year starter, coming back as a true junior to be a three-year starter. He's out, shoulder, shoulder uh, injury. Dante Booker, who started at linebacker the first half of last season, um, had some major shoulder problems, surgery. He's out for all of spring. K.J. Hill, who was like their leading receiver last year, right? Like yeah, leading receiver out for spring is kind of a headline almost. K.J. Hill's out for all of spring because of a shoulder issue. And who's the fourth one? Uh, Booker. Jeffrey Okuda. Okuda. Jeffrey Okuda, who's a huge... Uh, recruit is going to be one of the top three cornerbacks this year. He's out for spring. And then Matthew Baldwin, who would be the fourth quarterback, and if Joe Burrow leaves, would be the third quarterback. He's out for the whole year with an ACL. Uh, suffered in high school, right? Suffered in his in a playoff game. Yep. Who? So again, if we run through Booker, Hill, Okuda, and Jordan, who are the guys, and, and benefit's the wrong word because you don't want any, these are college kids, you don't want anyone to, to benefit from someone's injury, but who has the greatest opportunity as a result of one of these guys being injured? Is it a cornerback because of Okuda? Is it someone on the offensive line because of Michael Jordan? Is it a linebacker because Dante Booker not being there thins that out a little bit? Or is it somebody at H-back or receiver with K.J. Hill? I think it's H-back or receiver, and I think it's DeMario McCall. Segway! Yeah, I agree with that. Tim, do you think it's DeMario McCall, or do you think it's someone else? I think it's DeMario. If I were to pick a second, though, I'd say Sean Wade. I think that's true. That's cool. Sean Wade was out there. He's another five-star recruit who was hurt last year, and then he was out there today when Okuda wasn't, and I just I was watching the defense. You know what? He, he looked like he belonged out there. Um, I think that's a good one because it was – Okuda was doing enough last year that it was easy to sort of get excited about Okuda, and then it was easy to forget about Sean Wade. And you can't forget about injured guys at a place like this because Marshawn Lattimore once was an injured guy, and then all of a sudden became Marshawn Lattimore when he got healthy. So I think Sean Wade's a good one. Is there anybody, Bill, on the offensive line that you think, you know, there's another interior spot? You know Jordan's going to come back and be a, a starting yeah. guard because it certainly seems like Isaiah Prince is locked in at left tackle and Thayer Munford is, again, being praised by everyone at right tackle. Does Michael Jordan being out really give someone a chance inside? 
I don't know if it gives someone a chance to start, but and I wasn't really watching the offensive line today, but like, was Wyatt Davis getting, getting in there, Tim? Yeah, he was second-team right guard. Josh Myers, second-team center. Yeah. I, 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 so who were the two left guards? Uh, Malcolm Pridgen was the first-team guard mm-hmm. at left guard, and then second-team they rotated between Matt Burrell and Gavin Cup. Okay. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I just think the benefit comes in like being a young guy who otherwise wouldn't be playing. But I think that might be happening anyway. Michael Jordan is going to be entering his third year as a starter, and, and typically when guys have racked up that many plays, they kind of rest them in spring, yep. even if they're not hurt. Um, so I don't know if it helps anyone position themselves better for a starting job, but can't hurt to get, especially a guy for like Gavin Cup, who's never done, who's never played at all. Um, I think it helps him if he's going to play some more this spring. Tim and I also did a Facebook Live on Tuesday afternoon, and when you talk as much as we do now, like you end up repeating yourself a little bit. But I was saying, I do think it it, it is open, and Bill was at basketball, so what, do you agree with this? The idea that, and I made the comparison to 2014, we were sort of waiting for guys, who's going to be a, the starting offensive lineman? And then it was like, oh, this redshirt freshman in camp just like won a job. And it was like there were a couple other guys you thought might be the guy, and then Billy Price was like, I'm going to start. And they were like, yeah, we're not, we can't keep Billy Price off the field. It feels like there's enough uncertainty in the middle. Like Michael Jordan's going to play. I feel like the tackles are set. Unless something yeah. happens, I feel like it feels like Prince and Munford are set. Michael Jordan's set. Demetrius Knox seems like the right guard, but I don't know that that's etched in stone. And then there seems to be the way Urban Meyer talked about it. Urban Meyer segued from a quarterback question into his concern at center, which just indicates that's wide open. I certainly feel like between one of the guard spots or center, and then maybe you start moving guys around, that somebody, it's like, well, what's going to happen? Oh, like Josh Myers just decided I'm going to start. Like, do you think that's out there, that that's the way this could go? Yeah, I do. I think, I think Brandon Bowen's worth mentioning, too, for that right guard spot. Um, I think it, my, my pick would be either him or Knox at the moment. But, yeah, I do, I do think it's open. And I, I would not have said that, like, yesterday. If you would have asked me who's going to be the starting center, I probably would have said Brady Taylor and felt very confident about that. But Urban seemed fairly uncertain as to who that center is going to be. And I forget the names that he said. He threw well, Taylor, Taylor, Matt Burrell, and Josh Myers. And Josh Myers, yeah. So if yeah, I would not. I think I'm certainly in a more of a place where I think it's possible for a young guy to take a job, and I, I wouldn't have thought that two days ago or yesterday. You know, guy, they move guards to center all the time. That's how they got their last two centers mm-hmm. by moving Pat Elfline and Billy Price there. Uh, my ears perked up on the idea of a. There's position uncertainty at center that Urban Meyer brought up on his own. And B, one of the guys now in the mix is a guy who was a redshirt freshman last year and was a borderline five-star recruit who we didn't really know. It's not a surprise that Josh Myers is at center, but we didn't know that Josh Myers was going to be in the center mix. And that, to me, feels like the kind of thing you do when you're hoping for some magic to happen. And so now, would you be surprised, Tim, if Josh Myers was the starting center for Ohio State based on nothing, based on nothing other than what Urban Myers said today? I would not be surprised. I mean, the what, although the way I took Urban Meyer's comment about being uncertain at center, no, that's what happens when you have back-to-back Remington Trophy winners and both are gone after they win, they win that award as the best center. It's natural, I think, to have concern about that position when you've had two stars at that position in two years and now you have to replace another one. Because how often are you going to catch lightning in a bottle three years in a row? Yeah, and I don't think I th- – Michael Jordan's a little tall. You know, I, I don't know that he would be, you know. He's like 6'7". That's really tall. If, if you were going, 
by the route of move an experienced guard to center because you know the guy's good and you trust him. Michael Jordan would be the guy that you would move, but I don't think Michael Jordan is a is more of a tackle playing guard. He can't be a guard playing center. Okay. Um, so I think I think that's interesting. Again, this is not based on anything, but I would keep an eye on Josh Myers. I would keep an eye on Josh Myers this spring. Demario is going to be awesome. That's it. Uh, I've been making Demario McCall jokes all day. I'm writing about Demario McCall. I thought when I wrote about Demario McCall after talking to him in the locker room at the Big Ten Championship game, I in the headline I double checked. It was like, can he be like Curtis Samuel, Urban Meyer? Mentioned Curtis Samuel when he was talking about Demario McCall today, and he only meant it, and I thought it was an interesting distinction that I think we totally get, and I think fans get it, but it's interesting to hear Urban Meyer make the distinction. He talked about Demario being a Curtis Samuel type of H-back, which K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell are not. They are receivers playing H-back. Demario McCall is a tailback playing H-back, which is what Curtis Samuel was. And it just is – it's a different kind of thing. And I found, I found that interesting. And here's – and we, we all, I think, agreed that DeMario is the guy who could take advantage of an opportunity because K.J. Hill is hurt. And K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell are different, but they're sort of in the same vein. And I feel like DeMario – like they're bigger, more physical guys, and DeMario's like a smaller, quick guy. That makes a lot of sense to me as, listen, if we're going to have two H-backs that we play, if we're going to rotate six guys and – Every receiver spot has two guys that play. That rather than playing KJ Hill and Paris Campbell at H and like they're interchangeable, you play Paris Campbell and Demario McCall at H, and they're different and they're different good. And then, as we've talked before, when KJ Hill comes back, he's an outside receiver, and it's like you know what? Like if Terry McLaurin or Johnny Dixon or Austin Mack or Ben Victor's not getting it done, then all of a sudden KJ Hill's one of the four outside receivers who plays. And your two H-backs are Paris Campbell and Demario McCall. And I think, like, in our heads we maybe thought something like that could happen because we've talked about K.J. Hill as an outside receiver. We've seen a guy like Jalen Marshall move from H to outside receiver. They've done that. But I felt like today with the news that K.J. Hill is out and the way Urban Meyer talked about Demario McCall, I think that's more possible. Yeah, I think oh, Demario has to make it happen, I think. Like, I don't, I don't think they're entering – Spring with that in mind, I think they're in more of like a wait and see approach with the Mario. He because uh, and that's Urban said things about like he's got to prove it and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't, I don't think. I'm not assuming that's going to happen. I think it's on the table for it to happen. But the Mario needs to force it to happen, and I think he's a, a capable player who, who can do that. But I think at the moment he's still just a returner who has like an opportunity to be something more. Do you, Tim? If you have an expectation at the moment for Demario McCall, again, I'm just. I'm going to stop prefacing it. Based on nothing. I mean, everything. Based on nothing, would your expectation be after the first day of spring practice that Demario McCall has a somewhat significant role in this offense this fall? I think he probably has to because we, what we know about Paris Campbell and KJ Hill is that they're sort of incomplete playmakers. And when I say incomplete playmakers, I mean if you combine what they both they do best, KJ Hill's hands with Paris Campbell's speed. You have an incredible H-back, but they're both incomplete. Paris Campbell's hands have been questioned. K.J. Hill, you know, his, his average yards per catch, I believe, was under 10 or close to close to 10, which for a receiver is not very good. 
And DeMario is kind of is that X factor. He, I mean, Urban Meyer went out of his way to call him a Curtis Samuel type. We saw his speed on display as a freshman. We've seen it. We saw it in a couple games before injuries took him out in 2017. Urban wants to give him a shot at kick and punt returner. And we and there were points last year when Mike Weber was your kick returner. You gotta have some when you're a team like Ohio State. You gotta have some explosiveness back there, and. I know Ohio State's got so many veteran skill players back as far as catching the football, running football. The only one who isn't back as far as like a pass catcher or a runner is Marcus Baugh, your your former starting tight end. So opportunities are going to be are not necessarily going to be there. But if Demario can look, it looks healthy as he did, if he continues to progress and take a job as Urban Meyer's kind of challenged him to do. He'll force his way on the field in some way. And when you make things happen on the field, you force coaches to put you out there because you keep doing things. What was the too deep at tight end today, Tim, by the way? Too deep was uh, Barry's your starter. Rashad Barry, okay. And then probably still a battle with Jake Hausman, Luke Farrell. Hausman's name came up a couple times making some catches. And I wrote about it in my offensive observations that backup tight end will be interesting, especially with Jeremy Rucker coming in the summer. Yeah. I think Rucker, we still think Rucker's going to do something. I do. Um, when he described, when Urban Meyer described Demario McCall as he's our returner, like he's he is that he's studying returner, he's going to be a punt returner and a kick returner, and he's got to make something happen on offense. That sounded exactly like a guy that was here recently. That I that, I, that echoed to me the spot that Demario McCall is in. Who? Dontre Wilson. Oh yeah. yeah. Dontre Wilson was a guy who flashed as a freshman, had a foot injury. Uh, Demario McCall had a groin injury last year that kind of messed him up. They made Dontre like the punt returner and kick returner, and you always sort of were waiting for him to do a little more at H. And then he, he was sort of in there with Curtis Samuel um, in 2016, but Curtis Samuel just like blew everybody away and you couldn't take him off the field. Dontre had a role, but never – Never was a gigantic part of the offense. And I, and I feel like he was still the return man, but then he had some trouble on punt. They ended up putting K.J. Hill back there on punt then later in that season. Um, like if it doesn't really ever come together from Demario McCall, I think it'll look like what happened with Dontre Wilson, who was certainly sidetracked by injuries, but also sort of when he had his last shot, didn't go crazy with it. Yeah, I think it's a good comparison. All right. Now I'm not feeling the fake ad as much. You guys want to do the fake ad or no? Mm, I'll give it nah. A- <laughs> All right, we'll get the fake ad ready. We'll produce the fake ad. We still we have like literally four things that could happen, and 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 maybe we'll have an ad someday. In the meantime, we have questions. Not as many as usual, but we have some. Jordan Alexis at JAA951 on Twitter. After one practice, can we officially guarantee a national championship? Yep. Is Tua Tagovailoa still at Alabama? No, he went to the NFL. Yeah. Okay. If that's the case, then yes. They're moving him to safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, and I'm going to write about this. I asked Urban Meyer about, about this. This 2017 recruiting class, the guys who are second year players now. Um, Tell me if I'm if if you think it's not valid. You know, get I kind of put it in the question to Urban that in 2014 that everybody knows this. Those second year players, they had a lot of other good veterans around them, but they put them over the top. Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Darren Lee, Eli Apple, Von Bell, all these guys. 
That was a special recruiting class that was number two in the country, and they put them over the top and won a national championship as, as sophomores and redshirt freshmen. And this 2017 recruiting class is the second-ranked class in 2017 and has guys, especially on defense, especially on defense, with Baron Browning and Jeffrey Okuda and Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins has already done it, Jalen Harris on offense, and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis on the offensive line. Um, a lot of guys with, with maybe a chance to do something now. Do, do you think there's any, is there something to that comparison, or is that like crazy after the first day of spring practice to be talking about that Bosa, Elliott, Lee, Apple class that produced all those NFL guys, Billy Price, JT Barrett, all those guys? No, I feel like there's even like some straight-line comparisons you can draw player to player that make a lot of sense. Like Okuda is Apple, Chase Young is Bosa, J.K. Dobbins is Zeke. Like the the roles aren't quite the same. Like Zeke wasn't as wasn't a wasn't what wasn't what J.K. was as a freshman. Yeah. Um, but like position wise, it even kind of matches. Baron Browning like, is Darren Lee again. Or the, Baron Brady, or, or, or no, I guess Brady was a freshman that year. Um, but yeah, no, no. I think I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know. In my head at the moment, and this I, I have not thought about it all that much. In my head at the moment, the veteran presence on that team was maybe a little stronger than it is on this one. Which was an underrated, I think, part of that team. We yeah. talked about those Trestle seniors, Michael Bennett, Devin Smith, Evan Spencer, yeah. But I also think you could you could make the counter-argument that the young second-year talent on this team is probably better, at least on paper, than, than those guys were, too. Yeah. It's the best recruiting class ever. So. And, and, and it came, you know, it's like we, Joey Bosa was good as a freshman, but a lot of those guys, Dar- Darren Lee redshirted, didn't play, and then was like Eli that good. Right? But, yeah, Eli Apple had, like, health problems and had migraines and stuff and redshirted. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I do – It's I, and I know it's a facetious question, and it's funny because, like, again, it's what too often happens in sports writing is that the team you cover is the greatest thing ever. And, of course, the players and coaches say it was great, it was perfect, and then you just write it was great, it was perfect, and it doesn't mean anything. Um, so I like Jordan's question. But, you know, they have to figure out the quarterback. But I, but you look around. It's like you look around and you think, eh, boy, like, yeah, there's some, there's some potential for some stuff here. Um, and, and again, I think the one that I, again, the way Urban brought it up, they have got to get some receivers who scare defenses. Yep. Something's got to be better than last year. If the, if the receivers are the same as last year, they're not going to win a national championship. Someone's got to make a play when it matters. And I thought, and Tim, again, I'm obviously showing that I did not have time to read Tim's practice observations yet because I looked only at defense. I literally did not see anything the offense did. I thought I saw Austin Mack once or twice just kind of look good with the ball in his hands. After one day of practice, who was your leading contender for breakout wide receiver? Breakout, I think, would be Jalen Harris because I look at him as a guy who – but I even think, better than all the other – I know we talked about Jalen Harris in the video. as like a guy who stood out. Of all the other veterans, you think like Jalen Harris could be the best receiver on this team this year? Well, when you say breakout, I kind of kind of like – Best receiver. Best, who's receiver the guy that, best receiver than Austin Mack, but like kind of guy who's going to emerge and find a role. Could no, he, I want who's, – who's Michael Thomas? Give me, give me a who, star. I'd say Austin Mack. You think – but did you see – and again, it's one practice. How did you think Austin Mack looked? Let me look good. And I've said before, I think I said this on Facebook Live, that this was a group of receivers that Urban Meyer, you could just sense the entire season was waiting for somebody to emerge, and it just never happened. Yeah. And there's got to be a sense of urgency, I think, within this group. And it just takes one guy who just says, get behind me, 
I'm wide, I'm wide receiver one. Everybody fall in line behind me. I got your back. And we saw, we saw flashes of that from Mac. It just didn't happen a lot. And you have to think with a new quarterback, you know, a guy who's more a guy who's more aggressive throwing the football in some case, particularly Dwayne Haskins, more willing to trust a guy like Austin Mack. Um, there, there could be opportunities. And I'm actually looking at Eric Bronstein's question and almost kind of it's a perfect segue into this topic. Yeah. I'm a professional podcast host. I know how this works. But I do think, and we've talked about that before, Tim, the Dwayne Haskins-Austin Mack relationship and connection, I think, is like the next thing that even – would maybe make you think that really this has a chance to be something, right? That they know each other so well. Yes. Eric Bronstein, not trying to be negative. Ebron, S-T-E. We love you, Eric Bronstein. Not trying to be negative, but has Urban's constant raving about the potential of the wide receiver group? Is it starting to sound like a broken record? Heard the same thing for last three off seasons, but have never, but I've seen constant inconsistency. My one reason for optimism is the new quarterback throwing to them. So Landis, you get this one. Is it just... Is this the year the receivers are really good, or is it going to, in general, be more of the same? I think they'll be better mostly because of the product of, of the, the end of the question says of who's throwing to them. And I think that's true no matter who's throwing to them. Um, I just think Dwayne Haskins, especially Dwayne Haskins, and even Joe Burrow can, can make throws that JT Barrett couldn't make and are willing to make throws that JT Barrett wasn't willing to make. Um, so it'll give the guy, the receivers, more chances. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I don't really think Urban sounds – too much like a broken record. I think he's been. He said what we said all along, and he said and he and he said it again on Tuesday that what you said at the beginning that they're they're good locker room guys or good teammates, but their play on the field has left at least a little bit to be desired. I think he's been pretty blunt about that. I don't think he's standing up there pounding his fist on the podium, telling us that he's got four Michael Thomases on the team. That would be disingenuous. Um, and I, if he did do that, I think we'd call him out on it. Um, Liar. And I honestly, like, I don't see, I don't, Austin Mack is the only one, and I guess Ben Victor, if he ever gets together too. Those are the only two guys I see as having any kind of potential of the guys we've seen before to, to get to a level close to that. I still don't think that the, the ceiling for either one is close to Michael Thomas, but I do think, like, I, Jalen is like a, it's a cliche sort of thing, but like Jalen Harris was like an awesome basketball player, and now that guy's playing receiver. Like, Jalen Harris is going to play Division One basketball, and he's playing receiver at Ohio State instead. He has an, an upside athletically that I think the other guys don't have. Um, so I think he could emerge as like a real game breaker. And, and if you have him as a game breaker, a guy who's like a threat, you have to know where he is all the time, can go get contested balls, can, can make plays that the other guys have not made, and then behind him you just have like four kind of solid guys, I think that's a recipe for a pretty good receiver group. I, I did think that last preseason Urban hit it kind of hard on the culture, they've changed the room, what great guys they are, like what a group we have, and and was sort of – pounding the drums on this receiver group has taken a step when it, again, we sort of question like, well, that's all great, but show it to us. And and today, I mean, he clearly was, I mean, he said they were good, but they haven't been elite. And I, and I think that yeah. he's not going to call them out because it's not that they aren't trying. If he thinks you're not trying, he calls you out. I think he thinks they're trying. I just think he, he's telling them they're not good enough. So people believe that, that like, how much of the blame for whatever offensive struggles they had at times last year is put at the feet of the receivers? I don't know if I put much at all at the feet of the receivers, at the feet of the receivers. Do yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like it's not like it wasn't a season filled with key drops, really. Johnny Dixon, when he got the ball, did stuff with it. Paris Campbell took some short passes and 
turn them into big gains. Um, Austin Mack, you know, flashed a time or two. You know, I think I think if you had a first round receiver, he would have been open more, I guess. But yeah. I, I, but I feel like that had been the year before in 2016. It was all about they couldn't get separation, nobody's open. Uh, when they were at their best against the war the the worst defenses they faced in the middle of the year, um, things were looking really good with the passing game. But no, I don't. I, I mean, if you wanted to line up like why they didn't throw it better, I, I don't think they would have been at the top of the list. Um, it's not this like I don't. I, I don't think the position's above criticism, and if the criticism is that Ohio State, at the way at the level of recruit, should have a guy like a Michael Thomas or whatever, pick your star receiver. Then I, I certainly agree with that. But I also think part of the discussion around this particular group of receivers is that they're not good, and I would disagree that they're not good. It's just that they're all very similar. It's just one of those where it's like you think about the idea that at defensive end last year they had Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, Nick Bosa, and Chase Young. And what if they had five receivers who were the equivalent yeah. of those five guys? And they don't have, I mean, they don't have anybody the equivalent of that. And so you're just waiting. It's like, okay, now, now they have Nick Bosa, Chase Young, and Jonathan Cooper. It's like, man, what if, if Austin Mack, Ben Victor, and Jalen Harris can be Nick Bosa, Chase Young, and Jonathan Cooper, they're going to win the national championship. Yeah. So I think that's, and it's like, oh, why don't they have, it's like, oh, so you're criticizing them for saying, why don't you have five receivers who are like could all go in the top three rounds of the draft? I mean, that's a crazy thing to criticize them for. They have five defensive ends who are. So, like, what's up? How do they have none? Johnny, are any of Paris is going to be drafted probably somewhat high because mm-hmm. he's an extreme athlete and he has absolutely flashed some game-breaking ability at times. Who else gets drafted out of that receiver room for sure right now? Nobody. For sure, I've known nobody. Like maybe if Austin Mack does what we're talking about, then okay, him. Yeah. But, you know, if, if I mean, Ben Victor's upside, but he certainly has not shown it very consistently. We're talking about J- Jalen Harris has only been here and didn't play really. I mean, what if they, what if they produced a first-round receiver every year like they produce a first-round corner every year? Every year, it's like – Oh, how's the receiver group? Well, every year they have a guy who goes in the top 20 in the draft, so it's pretty freaking good. It's not, I mean, it's not even close to that. So I think that's the thing. And it's like, well, why? Is there something? I'll write this down. This is, this is the question. Is there something inherent to the Ohio State program at the moment that makes it much more difficult for them to produce receiver talent like that compared to defensive end or cornerback talent? Is there something in the style of play and in the coaching that it's not the players, it's the things around it? Or have they just not recruited good enough players to that spot? I have a theory. Drop that theory. Good receivers want to come play with good passers. And Ohio State did not have a great passer for five years. In addition to JT not being a great passer, he's a guy who ran the ball a lot. Like every offensive skill player wants the ball, and it's like they've recruited the other skill positions fine. But I think there's something to if you're being recruited as a receiver, you want to come to a place where you know you're getting the ball thrown to you and getting thrown to you well. And for five years, Ohio State could sell a lot of things, but that wasn't one of them. That's a good story idea. Yeah, this is a something. <laughs> This is a something, something to investigate. I think I agree with you, and now I'm interested in what next. 
Um, but the hard part of it is so far is that this 2017 class, the one part, the one place where it ended up a little short was at receiver because Tajon Lindsey bailed at the last second and Trayvon Grimes transferred. Yeah. So now we only have Jalen Harris. Imagine, imagine if Trayvon Grimes was Chase Young. What we, what we would be saying and writing about him and this receiver group. Are we sure that Chase Young can't play receiver? I think Chase Young can do anything. I don't know. Well, if the run paint can catch a touchdown for Alabama in a playoff game, then surely Chase Young can run a fade pattern from the one-yard line. You know what I know for a fact that Chase Young can do? Beat Tim Bielik in wrestling. <laughs> well, of course, oh. I'm only 5'10", 190. Chase Young, 6'5", 265. And he's, pro- he's an NFL athlete right now. You tell me who wins that 90 times out of 90. We <laughs> Tim Bielik could not play sports at Ohio State. That's our, that's our revelation. Uh, we, we need we need to look this up quickly. This is a very interesting. We need to Tim. You look up the 2015 football recruiting class. I already have it up. I actually had it up. I saw the question. I figured nice. worth getting up now. Landis knows the basketball deal by heart. Kyle Brandenburg at Mad Cow Design. Cow with a K. What was up with Ohio State in 2015, with the senior football class being labeled the Misfits and all the basketball recruits gone? Who is the best player left in the 2015 class? And if every year mirrored 2015, what comparable school would we look like? What a question. So, Bill, just remind the people of the basketball problems. They recruited five players in the 2015 recruiting class. Uh, Austin Grantsep and Mickey Mitchell from Texas, A.J. Harris from Dayton, Daniel Giddens from Georgia, and then Jaquan Lyle was a late ad. Um after D'Angelo Russell left early for the NBA. The first four guys I mentioned were gone after one year, and then Jaquan Lyle was gone after two years. So they had a top 10 national recruiting class that was all off the team within two years of getting here. Which is why next year's basketball team is not going to be as good as this year's basketball team. Correct. Football. Who? So the best player in that class was Justin Hilliard, who's battled injuries. Who were some of the other top football guys there? Uh, I'll go down the order of just the first handful of guys. Uh, Justin Hilliard, you mentioned. Jerome Baker, off to the NFL. Mike Weber, number two running back. Torrance Gibson, gone. Jay Sean Cornell, you know, backup defensive lineman right now. Eric Glover-Williams, gone. All six of those guys in the top 100, only two right now are on the football team, and both are backups right now. So Jerome Baker is gone because he was good. So Jerome Baker... Is, keep going down. Isaiah Prince is in that class. He's good. Draymond Jones, he's good. Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward was the best guy from 2015, it turned out. But he's gone now. So by the time we get to, like, when they're seniors, um, and they are seniors now, like Isaiah, Isaiah Prince probably is the best guy. I'd put Isaiah Prince ahead of Mike Weber. Yeah, I would too. Me too. I mean, he's starting in a prominent position. Draymond, maybe. I guess Draymond too. But like Isaiah Prince has been a two-year starter. He's been really good. I mean, those two. Yeah, I would. Yeah, just based off Draymond's 2017 season, I would say Isaiah's better. So that's a that's an interesting um, that's an interesting way of of breaking that down. But uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. It's 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 a funny way to look at. It. There's a lot of other guys. AJ Alexander, um, Grant Schmidt. Go up again, Tim. Um, Nick Connor, hurt. Alex Stump. Alex Stump, gone. Jamel Dean, that whole thing. We didn't, he got disqualified medically and went to Auburn. Um, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing the way that happens with classes. And, and uh, that's why 
that that for instance, that kind of thing opens up more opportunities for these 2017 guys to do a lot in year two because the guys who are in year four, there are not a ton of them doing big things, right? They had 26 players in that class, and nine of them left the program via a route other than leaving early for the NFL draft. Yeah. That's a terrible percentage. And then t- how many guys went to the draft early? Jerome, Baker, Jerome Ward. Baker, uh, Denzel Ward. I believe that's only two. That's it. Okay. Did you, by the way, we, I wanted to, since we're talking about Superman and breaking my heart, you guys, I was so excited about Demario McCall having a good first practice that you guys uh, wanted to talk about when he's going to uh, end up leaving the program because he's my new Superman and I killed Superman's career. Yeah, you falling in love with a player essentially ends that player's career. That's fair. That's real talk. Well, to be fair, he can't declare for the 2019 draft any earlier than Ed Oliver did because he did yeah, He did on Monday. I also loved uh, Austin Grandstaff, and he broke my heart too. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, G. Nilly, 97. I love Mitchell. You love Mickey Mitchell? Yeah. G. Nilly 97, do you think Baron Browning will get blocked from starting by Urban's preference for veterans over higher ceiling talent? I was watching the linebackers today and wondering how Baron Browning gets on the field. Now, when we, when we did the, the linebacker depth chart uh, in the offseason, we just talked about them playing multiple linebackers, playing more than three. Uh, I just, to me, one hour of one practice – my, my general impression was Tuff Borland and Keandre Jones look like starting linebackers. And it's not that Malik Harrison didn't. He just, I don't know, didn't seem yeah. as much in the moment. Baron Browning was playing second-team outside linebacker, and Justin Hilliard was second-team middle linebacker. Baron Browning also got some snaps at middle linebacker. But, but Bill, do you think that, that Urban would have a preference that, you know, to play Slightly older guys. It's not that they're much older. They're only one year ahead of him. Borland and Keandre Jones and Malik Harrison. They're not two or three years ahead and of Hilliard. him. Is Hilliard ahead of him? Hill- Hilliard's in his fourth year. Baron Brown's in his second year. So, like, but do you... I, I don't know. I'd have to research it more genially. I mean, I, f- I feel like there are certain examples you could point to where they played veterans. But also, as we just talked about, in 2014, they played a lot of second-year guys because there were opportunities there, and there were some really good players. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think that, that like Baron Browning would lose out if it's close because he's only in his second year and the other guys are older? No, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't, what the, how did he describe it? Urban's preference for veterans over higher-ceiling talent. I don't know. I'm sure – I'm going to say that I don't know – that I agree with that, and I'm sure you can throw like ten examples at me that, that prove that point correct. That and, prove Gene Nilly's point correct. And one is JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins. But. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not too worried about that. One because it's a defensive position, and I actually don't know how involved Irving gets in that. Um, now, you can be concerned that the decision would be left to the linebackers coach, um, but I actually think it would be left to Greg Schiano, and I don't know that Greg Schiano would do that. So I'm, I'm not worried about that. I think it's the first, like, if you looked at the linebackers on Tuesday and thought, I don't know how Baron Brown is going to get on the field, I think it's 100% possible they'll be come back and watch practice two weeks from now, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how Justin Hillier is going to get on the field because Baron Browning is playing middle linebacker, and he looks awesome. Yeah. And, again, I, people point back to, like, you know, Vaughn Bell should have played as a freshman, and they kept Pittsburgh Brown out there, and it cost him in the Big Ten Championship against Michigan State, but those were different coaches. That was that was Everett Withers who wouldn't pull the trigger on 
putting Von yeah. Bell on the field. So, Gene Nilly's second question, if you reverse the 2017 seasons of Haskins and Burrow, is there any way Burrow would not have a sizable lead for the starting job? So why does it seem like Urban hasn't given Haskins a sizable lead? Yes, I'm overreacting to Burrow taking the first rep today. I, I, again, I'm going to quibble with the premise a little bit. Yeah. But, um, like, if the idea is why would, like, is he not giving Dwayne Haskins the same advantage that he would give Joe Burrow if reversed? I, I, I don't, I certainly don't think that, like, he's giving Joe Burrow anything extra. I think, I think if anything, he's going to end up leaning to Haskins. So I, I don't, yeah. any implication that, like, he's, he's, Cutting Burrow slack at Haskins' expense, I just I'm not sure I agree with. No, I don't think I agree with that either. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, like Dwayne Haskins, the Michigan game aside, and I know that's a big aside, but Dwayne Haskins didn't really blow me away last year. Like he was certainly good in the backup role, but I don't I don't know that he should have a sizable lead. If they were truly neck and neck, and the reason they weren't is because Joe Burrow got hurt, then why should Haskins have a sizable? lead? Because he came in and won the Michigan game. Yeah, I don't. I would argue more that the defense did. Um, aside from the one throw he made to Austin Mack, I don't know. I, I I I think I just disagree with the premise in general. Yeah. All right. Doug Delillo gave us a three pack. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. Probably don't have the time. Don't have time to tackle this because it's a loaded and busy podcast. It's really not. Where are the questions, people? But where did the intro and outro music come from? Did you guys vote on it? Uh, I actually don't like having intro and outro music. Really? Yeah. And, like, I tried to sneak a few through. I didn't no. have any to see oh, if anyone don't, would notice. Don't yeah. worry. It got yeah. noticed. No, I know. Uh, I like when it just, like, starts and ends. Because it's just, like, it's just stock uh, royalty-free music that we found on some website. Um, I would be perfectly fine if it went away and we never had any music ever again. That hurts my heart. I could, I could. Never. I listen to, I listen to a decent amount of podcasts, and I would venture to say that ninety-five percent of the podcasts I listen to don't have any kind of intro music. And like the one that I listen to that does have it is Bill Simmons because he paid like a million dollars to use a Pearl Jam song. And even he will like talk for five minutes and then play the intro music. Yeah. Tim, it looks like you're the tie-breaking vote on the intro music. I'm clearly in favor of it. Let me say, I vehemently disagree with Bill. Shock. I'm on Team Doug. <laughs> I I love the intro music. You know, when you hear that little like hip hop groove, whatever you want to call it. I'll this call is so white. It is. It's. It is like it. I will admit, the name of the song is too cool, too cool. <laughs> <laughs> which is not helping our cause, Tim. Um, I like a little. I like it to get you going a little bit. It's almost like I'm not gonna say it's like the signature song of Buckeye Tom, but when you hear it come on for a few seconds, it's become familiar. You know what it sounds like by now. That, our listeners know what they're getting into I, when they hear that little groove. That actually is what I, I feel is like part of the branding. It's like I want someone. Although I guess if you came on in the first second said "Welcome to Buckeye Talk," they would also know without hearing. Bum, 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 bum. If, it's as much of a brand of Buckeye Talk as when you go when you say like for Bill and for Tim I'm Doug and that was Buckeye Talk. That's Which part is of also the why I do it. That's Except part the of the brand. has existed for four years and the music's only been around for like two of them. I know I had to fight you to finally get it on. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just hate it. And now you're on the losing team. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, it doesn't matter what what any of us think. I think it matters what the listeners think. So uh, let us know if you think this should be an interesting. Wow. And if you think that there should be one, you're wrong. Oh, okay. I will. I will yield to that. I think that would be fair to yield to that. We will do a comprehensive Twitter poll. Do you think we should keep the intro music or ditch the intro music? But let me add this caveat. Delillo, you have opened a can of worms, which is the least surprising thing ever. <laughs> if someone wants to make us a song, yeah, we'll play that. I would hate that less. I'd still hate it. Like something like, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's Tim and Bill and Doug talking about football and food with no sponsors. It's Buckeye Talk. Like something like that. Okay, I I'd, settle for a, I'd settle for a techno remix. Oh, I think we ended up with too cool because like Ari liked rap, and it was like that was because on the other po- on takes by the lake we have like a it's my, the my the theme song I use for that is called Fun in Sunnin, and that is uh, even that sounds like an eighties like um, aerobics class song. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that one either. Oh, okay, I don't remember what the. I was listening to the Browns one. I forgot what song they had for that one. I'm trying to well, I will say the Browns podcast like reached out to me and wondered about intro music, where we got it, and so now they have added intro music? Yes. They, hmm. The podcast they did on Thursday night, I've only listened to the Thursday night when they did from the Combine. It had intro music. To I'm me, not opposed to like a produced intro that like says the name of the podcast and has like some sound effects to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think like... Re- if, I feel like if we're going to have a song, it should be a song that means something. Either like a song that we all like, which I don't think we'd ever be able to settle on, right. or a song that somebody made for us. Okay. We might need to have someone make us a song then. Mm-hmm. I like it. I, I guess I do. To me, it's classy. But I feel like it's classy in the way that like something from 1988 is classy. Like It's classy in the way that like, elbow patches are classy. Yeah, yeah. The way like a dot matrix printer is classy. <laughs> like if we, if we had a song. Like, yeah. So... Man, I can't believe that DeLillo did this to us. Um, uh, That's his way of telling us he thinks the intro song sucks, right? No, we'll ask DeLillo. DeLillo, you tell us. Do you like it or not? We'll do a poll. And swear to God, if there's anybody out there who wants to make us a song, we'll take a song, baby. Last DeLillo question, then we'll wrap this baby up, and then we'll play the outro music. Has anyone tried the Szechuan dipping sauce from McDonald's? If the quarterbacks were dipping sauces, what would they be? He says... Martell equals buffalo, seems spicy. Burrow equals ranch, faithful, dependable, will miss him when he's gone. Haskins equals barbecue, always top notch. Who's had the Szechuan dipping sauce? I have uh, I think I have. I think I had it one time. It was pretty good. Really? It's like, it's like General So's style sauce kind of. Okay. Or maybe like more like a sweet and sour, but it's, it's really good. Do you guys agree with uh, Delillo's characterization of quarterbacks to sauces? Burrow for ranch is really good. Um, I don't know. Barbecue seems a little too tame for Dwayne Haskins. Do you? Yeah. Maybe Dwayne Haskins like, is something that we've like never seen at Ohio State before, and barbecue is very common. What about like a right. spicy barbecue? Because I know Wingstop has like a spicier than average barbecue as like its base barbecue option. We'll have to think on that. It has to be like a sauce, so- like a a sauce that like makes you a little uncomfortable. Because yeah, because you've never had it before. Yeah. Like a food, like do you have foods like that? Like a thing where you can't decide if you love it or hate it. So, what about? I'm trying to think. What about a wasabi? Well, that might be better. I've never is, had wasabi. 
because I'm afraid to try it. Sriracha. Oh, sriracha. I think sriracha is awful, so that'd be a good one. People like I mean, wasabi is kind of out there where people aren't used to it because people in America aren't used to it because it's a Far East delicacy. But it's got a little, it's got a little something to it. Don't say people in America like you don't live in America. Uh, all right. Spring football is underway. We're going to be back on Thursday talking with players, and then we'll talk with players and coaches twice a week all through spring practice. But they are off for Ohio State spring break next week, um, and that is when the NCAA tournament starts. So expect some more, what do you think, podcast after Selection Sunday for Monday morning on the hoops? Yeah, I think, I think that. I think I'll come one. to the thing Sunday. Yeah. Do you want to tell people in case they want to come to it? Yeah, so Sunday at the shot, they're doing um, a selection Sunday kind of viewing party, like on the main floor, watch the show on the, on the video board. I think doors open at 5. Um, the selection shows at 6. It's, I think, as far as I know, parking is free. The get-in is free. Concession stands are open. You can buy food and stuff. Um, the team will be there. Chris Holt will be there. I think their plan is to address the crowd a little bit. I don't think they're going to do a Q&A. Um, but they basically like want, to, like want to celebrate selection Sunday which this program hasn't been able to do in three years um, with the fans. So that's going on Sunday at 5. It's funny. When I think of all the stuff that I definitely think Chris Holtman does better than Thad Mata, I think like the number one thing is like that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, I was like, thinking that too. Thad just like didn't really want to talk to anybody. So they had to think preseason where people were, were in here, mm-hmm. right, with season ticket holders, and Holtman and the assistant coaches were talking. Yep. They had they redid senior day to have Holtman talk and have players talk afterward. Mm-hmm. That seemed like a an unfad kind of thing, and this is like an unfad kind of thing. The thing I can't, and I actually, I plan to have a conversation with Chris Holman about this at some time. I just don't know if this is the right time, but I want to know if this is just like, I'm a first-year coach. People have to get to know me, or this is like what he act like. This is how he truly approaches his job. Yeah, I think that would be interesting because there's a difference because there's a yeah. lot of stuff that there's a lot of coaches out there who are into the outreach early on to curry favor and then are like, oh, I'm not doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it's, it's possible that Holtman just is very open to that kind of thing because of the kind of guy he is. Do you think that's on the table? Yeah, like he does a lot of radio shows and po- like national shows and podcasts and stuff. I think there's. I think he enjoys – enjoys probably the wrong word, but I think he sees the value in doing it. I don't think he dreads it. I yeah. think some people dread this stuff, and I don't think he dreads it. And I think he has an understanding that it, it just buys you some goodwill – with the fan base and with other people that matter. Yeah. Or maybe don't matter, but it's not a bad idea. Okay. Thanks to you guys for listening. At Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis 25, at Doug Maurice. Drop that five-star review and maybe we'll read it on the next podcast. More football podcasts all through, uh, all through spring football. Basketball podcasts until this thing ends with a first-round loss in Boise. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not really kidding, but I'm not going to end the podcast by saying that. Possible they're not in Boise. Yeah. First round loss wherever they are. Um, great year, though. Like, nothing – I just uh, – I mean, I know you, you talked about this a lot of the podcast, on the basketball podcast, which I, the part I did listen to at the beginning. It's just like, why, why would you be, like, super mad? Why would anyone be, like, super mad, like, mad at this team? It's a miracle what they did, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. We can talk about it more on, on after Selection Sunday. People get mad when we mix basketball and football. They did? Did they get mad? Uh, we did not get a ton of response, but most of the response we got was keep them separate. All right. He's Bill. He's Tim. I'm Doug. That was all about football because spring football has started. Stick with Cleveland.com slash OSU. 
all the way through the spring game in mid-April. Thanks for listening now. And that was Buckeye Talk.